With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Sam Snelling, with me as always, Matt Harris. We are here for a, a brand new, spanking new uh, episode of Dive Cuts, uh, which is our Mizzou basketball podcast. If you are unfamiliar uh, with the format here, we have a football podcast hosted by Nate Edwards and, and Brandon BK Kylie, and then you have your basketball podcast with me and Matt. Uh, so kicking things over to Matt, Matt, how are you on this fine Thursday evening in the middle of December? Uh, I'm, I'm well. I'm doing what, what we all do in uh, these times of strife and uh, difficulty. Uh, before I hopped on here, I, I, I was watching the Sylvester Stallone classic cliffhanger. Um, Matt, Matt likes to go through this time of year, like a lot of people, go through his Christmas movies. And uh, <laughs> right at the top of that list, Cliffhanger, starring Sylvester Stallone. Academy Award nominated film, sir. How dare you doubt... <laughs> The critic's taste in film. The classic. <laughs> but, yeah, that that was the most surprising tidbit, was to learn that apparently a Cliffhanger scored itself some technical nominations and rode that puppy into Amazon Prime's Academy Award-nominated films category. So, uh, when you stretch the definition, anything can get in. I don't think I've ever actually seen that. I've only seen uh, a few of the um, little 
where the things where they make fun of it, <laughs> like the little, uh, like SNL kind of skits, or when they're like there was a was an Austin Powers movie or some some one of those kind of hokey movies kind of like made a made a play off of the uh, the whole it, cliffhanger sequence. It, it, it spoofed it. I think it's what you're saying. That that's the verb you're looking for. That's the yeah, and I'm I only just now cracked the bourbon mat, so it's just it's just been that kind of a long week. Um, you're coming down off the stress of signing day, man. Where twenty five guys, up to twenty five gentlemen signed, only six of you, whom will likely see the field. <laughs> I was gonna say, like ninety percent of you won't hear from. Uh, for two years. But you cared yesterday. You cared whether that came across the fax machine. And you saw the slick graphic. Um, yeah, football recruiting is hell. I'm, I'm glad I don't have to care about it anymore. I mean, it, so, uh, yeah, it's a good class. I mean, and I, so I don't know if, uh, if you listened to our, uh, our predecessors of, uh, Matt and BK did a little bit of a, 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 a or, sorry, Nathan, uh, thinking about you um nate and bk did a little bit of a a breakdown of, of everybody and and who you're maybe more likely to see um if you haven't listened to that uh fair listeners go ahead and check that out um the previous uh podcast that came out on the feed but uh yeah i mean I, i'd say it was it's it, as good of a class as mizzou has had right um missouri isn't typically known as a a program that attracts a lot of you know high-end talent so for them to kind of finish in that that top 20 to 25 range depending on your service i think is a certainly a step in the right direction um you know especially when you're talking about competing in a league where what like six or seven teams are always going to finish ahead of you um no matter what you do so it's just about kind of beating the other six or seven teams in the league and uh and then trying to out coach everybody else (laughs) Yep, seventh place is first place. That's that's how I view Mizzou football recruiting. If you can get to seventh or eighth, um, land land talent at the defensive end position, quarterback, and you know maybe one good skill player to the outside, I think you're, you're fine. I, outside of that, I think Mizzou's route is usually um, winning the evaluation battles for upper three star guys, and then just hoping your coaches are have enough continuity to. Uh, maximize it but yeah um still there are 25 guys in class um probably not going to hear from for a couple of years so uh that's always been uh my general take on signing day is um i mean it's great if you if you love it and and i get there are people out there who like live and die with it i just even when i was covering college football it was like hard to get myself gigged up to care about 25 guys signing when like only a quarter of the roster sees the field so just proportionally 19 of these guys aren't gonna matter most likely uh if if you just break it down across the clock break it down across the depth chart yeah it was that pretty funny as i was exchanging a few texts with with brandon and uh just kind of trying to get his take on on where he thought the class was not i mean obviously you know brandon's a little um, more of an optimist, so he sort of <laughs> yeah, obviously really liked the class, but um, 
the thing that like I sort of found so I, I gave him like an over under of like seven and a half of uh, guys that play meaningful snaps within the next two years. So two years. So you you have obviously guys you know maybe one or two, uh, three if you're lucky, kind of freshmen who who play as true freshmen, uh, but either redshirt freshmen or sophomores at that time you kind of expect guys to start filtering um, their way yeah start start to move their way in like it, that's the sign of a healthy program and uh and i set the over under at seven and a half and i think i, I could probably check our text history but i I'm, i think he took the under <laughs> uh yeah i it's also last point i'll make is the number of guys they signed yesterday is probably like seven or eight less than missouri basketball extends offers two in a class so it's just and i feel like we say this a lot like when you're evaluating basketball classes and football classes they're entirely different worlds of you know what you're looking to do there um in terms of and in terms of how you evaluate the impact of a class and i i frankly feel better caring about basketball recruiting because at least i can watch all 30 guys and feel like i've seen every guy they've offered and have like a good sense loosely of what they can do there's no way you can do that in football you can't watch 300 film of 300 guys and well even then like even if you were able to actually do that like it's also difficult to know uh the level of competition those guys are facing i mean yeah if you're a, a six foot five 300 pound defensive tackle and you're playing class a uh, you know, football, Missouri, you're going to look pretty good, I would think. Um, but, uh, yeah, like that's, I think that's sort of the, you know, the variance is a lot of the, the, the tape that we tend to watch, uh, you know, comes from the summer sessions where, you know, guys are playing against other more high level players. So at least there's, there's a lot of division one talent on the floor and you're seeing how they, uh, how they play against that level of talent. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to, uh, I mean, I, I barely follow football recruiting and I, I do enough just, you know, since I kind of have some responsibilities for the site. Um, but it's, it's hard. It's, it really is. Um, however, this is not a football podcast. Uh, surprisingly enough is our, our lead topic, um, probably should have been the fact that for the first time <laughs> since January of 2014 well, nigh almost seven years the University of Missouri has a ranked basketball team at like they are ranked in the top 25 and not just by the skin of their teeth no they're in the top 20 uh, uh, the AP put them at 16 yeah I think we were talking about this before we came on like obviously exciting you don't want to downplay it you know you you're happy that there's recognition for what they've done. You know, we've talked about it, you know, going before bragging rights started that if they got that win, they legitimately at five and O have a fantastic resume. Um, they will have done a lot of work in the current climate to maximize their non-conference schedule and really, you know, start to put an early, um, resume together for an NCAA tournament bit. Um, to me, the ranking is just validation of the work that they've done to to sort of seed the, that opportunity for themselves. Um, it's also, a t- you know, the early thing about the rankings is there's a, just a ton of variance. I think 
the week before Missouri got ranked, what I did was I went through and I like put in the AP ranking, the Ken Palm rating, and WarrenNolan.com has does a really early, you know, simulates the net rankings. The net rankings don't come out until near the end of non-con. Warren Nolan's like tried to replicate the net ratings as much as he can, and like what you see is that like I think writers and the analytics systems and algorithms and net to a certain degree are like able to price in the top 10 or 12 teams. Like the level of variance between those schools across those platforms is pretty, it's pretty small. Um, Once you start to get past 15, it's just a crapshoot. And so I say that to say that like Missouri has done good work and they've stood out in an environment where we haven't really seen a lot of teams play consistent schedules and, you know, they've, they've managed to put together what I think objectively is a good resume and one that warrants being in the top 25. Are this, are they the number 16 team in the country? Again, to my point, I don't know. We're still early and so many different teams are encountering so many different scheduling issues and some are trying to make this up on the fly, but I do think the pollsters were right in saying that as you evaluate the resumes as they stand here today, Missouri's put together a top 20 level resume um, with the fact that they've, you know, beaten three probably like top 40 or 50 level Kim Palm teams on, on a neutral floor or road setting and in Columbia. Um, We'll have to see if they can, you know, maintain that. Um, If they take care of business against Bradley, um, I imagine they'll spend, you know, they'll probably come out this week in the rankings. They'll get through next week in the rankings, and then we'll see what happens when Tennessee comes in. But they've at least put themselves in great early position. To me, that's what the ranking is an indicator of. Whether they stay, who knows, but at least it's a sign that they've they've really done some great work and positioned themselves well as they get near the end of an abbreviated non-con. Yeah, so I think there's a, a couple ways to sort of look at it. Um Obviously, based upon our preseason projections, I don't think we saw Missouri being a top 25 level team. Um, top 40, maybe. At the, at... I, I, I thought they'd be top 40. Um, mainly because, you know, it's like we said before, I, I never really believed that the SEC was going to be, you know, drastically better this year. I thought they'd be marginally better at best. Uh, I thought Missouri, if they were able to stay healthy, um, they would be able to do enough to, you know, probably win 10 games and and be in the top 40. Like, that's the kind of team that I thought we were going to get last year. Um, And so, yeah, like, I I was a believer that they had good enough talent. Um, But I also think that this is a, a season where there's just you kind of spoke to variance. Um, there are things that we're just not used to seeing from a college basketball perspective, as far as certain teams who are built certain way. And I think obviously, you know, the, the roster that, that like Kentucky has as an example is, is not as talented um, by any stretch as, as, a lot of Cal's rosters there. I mean, this is one of the least talented teams, I would say. Uh, you know, I think they still have some good high-end talent, but there's no real uh, carryover talent for them to kind of usher that younger talent through. 
So we're seeing this huge variance from Kentucky. We're see seeing that in large part from teams that historically have relied upon uh, youth in, in, in building their roster. We're seeing that in teams that uh, maybe rely on a high amount of, of transfers. The teams that have been consistent and, and good at the top of the Kempom ratings and at the top of the rankings, uh, and I think you could at this point include Missouri in that, teams that have sort, sort of exceeded expectations early are teams that are older uh, and had a level of uh, roster carryover from their previous season that meant that the number of things that impacted the offseason were not going to impact them as hard as other teams that relied upon that offseason. And I think, you know, probably a good example uh, of that is Alabama, who we both thought would be better than they are. Um, and they're, they're, like they, they've just been kind of a mess. Um, and I think when you look at, uh, you know, when you look at the fact that, okay, so Herb Jones, Jaden Shackelford, um, John Petty were all coming back, guys that they relied on last year. That was also a team that was not very good at times last year, and they lost a lottery pick level talent in, you know, Kira Lewis. And replacing him with Javon Quinterly, who has a good reputation with talent, um, you know, but at the same time, like, it didn't work out at, at Villanova for a reason. So I think when you sort of look at what Missouri has done and, and their consistency in their roster, their maturity, the uh, experience, it, it, it starts to kind of make sense that, um, that you know, if, if they're going to overachieve at some point in the season, it's certainly going to be early. And I don't, I don't necessarily know that. I think Missouri is playing better and certainly looking better than I expected them to, but not like a lot better. Um, and I think it's more about, um, speaking of the variances, of, of some of those variances early impacting the teams that I thought we would see more in that 10 to 40 range, uh, which has elevated Missouri up, if that makes sense. Yeah, the one thing, the one number I think people should key in on is 77.3. That's that's the minutes continuity that Missouri has. And basically, it's a measure that Kim Pum came up with to say, what percentage of a team's minutes are being played by the same player from last season to this season? So, like, what's the carryover? And we knew Missouri was bringing back a lot of production. We knew they were tops in the SEC in almost every category. Um, but right now, Missouri's 77% of Missouri's minutes are basically carried over from last year. That's second among high majors and fifth nationally. They're only behind UCLA. Missouri has more minutes continuity than Villanova, more uh, minutes continuity than uh, Baylor, so more minutes continuity than Michigan State, you know, there, so some program and more minutes continuity than Kansas. So you look at what the Tigers have been able to do right now. And speaking to your point, Missouri's been able to enter this year, I think, with a little bit better sense of who it is. Um, it's got better health, and so that's probably helped continuity. Last year, Missouri was around fifty-four percent. Um, that was probably not helped by injuries to Mark Smith and Jeremiah Tillman. But 
So Missouri's been able to, I think, have a stable roster. Um, and you look at who they've beaten. Oregon, you know, if we go down we look at where Oregon's minutes continuity is, I'm going to look it up right now. In the spreadsheet, Oregon, I think, is... I'm trying to see if I can find them in here. They are... Oregon is currently, out of 75 uh, high majors, currently 68th in roster continuity. Illinois is up there, um, top 20, but we know Oregon has turned over its roster a lot. Wichita State turned over its roster a lot. Um, and Missouri is pretty familiar with the personnel that Illinois has. So I think what's happened for Missouri is, that's not to take away from the you know resume they've built because there's still quality programs, but Missouri's been fortunate that it's it's been able to come into this year pretty certain about what it has and, and pretty certain about what each guy on the roster can do. What I think they've done a really good job of, and I'm working on a piece about this, is the changes they've made schematically and the adjustments they've made in tempo have, I think, crystallized guys' roles pretty easily. And because they have veterans who are familiar with each other, who understand what their skill sets are and how they play off of each other, it's made that adapta adaptation a little bit easier for them. And I think it's been easy for the coaching staff because they're not having to figure out what each guy brings to the table. They've got a very good sense of what each guy's skill set is and what they're asking of every guy. Um, Missouri's settled its rotation pretty quickly too. So I think that they've, we keep coming back to that word continuity. I think that's what's worked well for them over the first five games. In a season where a lot of things are fluid, having a roster that you know really well that you and you know personnel that you've figured out how to fit together takes on even more importance for them and i think we're seeing evidence of that early so with the the bragging rights win which was obviously an important win um i'm kind of talking about the game i don't really feel like um there was a big difference between the teams. I think obviously Illinois has some top end talent um, that Missouri doesn't have. I mean, AO is really good. <laughs> uh, and we knew that we like, we knew that he was really good coming into the game uh, and knew that he had the potential to kind of carry a team the way that, uh, you know, Missouri really doesn't have a guy that they can just sort of turn to. Uh, you know, I think, Xavier Pinson, when he's playing well, uh, is capable of a lot of that stuff. I think Drew Smith, when he's making shots, has has some some of that. But that's also not really Drew's personality, um, you know, to sort of be the go-to guy, the go-to scorer. So the thing that I found kind of refreshing about the win was no matter, like, how many big punches Illinois was able to land, like... Missouri still stayed on its feet and found a way to kind of counter back. Um, obviously, they had you know a couple big runs to kind of get out to a, a large enough lead that they were able to to you know withstand Illinois' late run. But I I do think that when you look at what Illinois has done earlier this year, and I even said you know I on, I think on last week's pod like I'm I'm not convinced that Illinois was like a top five. Yeah. Team, I know a lot of writers are convinced that they were. Um, I, th I think they're they're probably more like fifteen, yeah, uh, top fifteen kind of team. Um, and that's, I mean, that's probably 
Uh, it's going to be a tough year in the Big Ten because the Big Ten is really good. Um, but it is nice to see. And I think the one thing that has sort of elevated my opinion of Missouri was not so much the Oregon win, uh, but, but how they handled who I think I think Illinois is that level. And so, um, so I think Illinois is at that level. And if they're at that level and Missouri played them the way that they did, uh, then it does seem to me, at least right now, that Missouri has a team that's capable of being a top 25 team. Um, and I know that they're ranked right now, but I'm talking about at the end of the year. Um, early season rankings can fluctuate. Where is Missouri in March? Where is Missouri at the you know when when the last game is played? Um, I think that's far more important to the momentum of the program. You know, particularly when you're talking about a year where uh, they're going to lose as many people um, off the roster as as they're likely to lose. I think we said after the game was over. You know, Missouri's won its last three games, probably playing at best at a B level in any one of them. Um, I think that's, that's, you know, obviously you want the result, but I think how Missouri achieved the result against Illinois is heartening too, because they didn't, you know, we're not going to, you know, gripe about the refs here. We did it enough on, on Twitter and you, you, you let off the study hall with it. There was no flow in that game. Um, both teams to a certain degree, you know, ran into some turbulence with foul trouble. Um, it was hard, especially in the first half, for either team to really get a rhythm going. Um, you know, once Tillman, you know, went to the bench midway through the first half, Missouri was, I think, trying to pick its way through. And then, you know, Mark Smith picks up a foul. And, you know, for the last six or seven minutes, you know, that felt like a danger zone for Missouri. You know, it was 27 26 when Mark Smith left the floor. Um, and, you know, you look at the lineup that was out there and it was. You know, Drew Smith, Xavier Pinson, Javon Pickett, Kobe Brown, and Mitchell Smith. Um, and it felt like that was a point where, in the past, you you would have kind of white knuckled it and hoped that Missouri could could keep the margin close going into the break. And you know that they actually extended the lead. Um, they you know it was twenty seven twenty six at six forty four to go, and when we got to the one ten mark, it was forty five thirty nine, and they'd opened it up by about five and. They had, you know, they found a way to, you know, I think over that stretch, I think there were about 18 possessions. They were attacking on secondary breaks and in early clock situations on 12 of them. Uh, they were able to get up and down a little bit. Um, Illinois, I thought, missed opportunities to absolutely just pound the ball inside through Kofi Oakburn. Um, you know, if if you're getting opportunities where you're soloed up on Drew Smith in the block or you're or you have Christian Braun holding on for dear life, trying to front him. It felt like Illinois um, really leaned a little bit too much on Curbelo during that stretch. And I think you mentioned to me during the game was going on, you're like, Curbelo was really good, but it felt like he was kind of missing the opportunity there. Like he wasn't reading the game really well because there were just mismatches galore in the block. Missouri had run up foul trouble, um, and they weren't pounding the ball away inside. Uh, there were chances along the way there too, where they were taking quick threes and Missouri was using those to get out and run. It just felt like in that situation, like you, like, and I think this is what I'm driving at is Illinois had a lot of talent, but it felt like in that moment on the floor, 
they didn't have enough veterans, you know, sort of saying, here's the game, here's the situation, here are the opportunities we have to recognize. We're just going to ride Cody Cokeburn and we're going to make these guys who are already, and we're going to exploit the whistles and we're just going to pound these guys in the paint. And that didn't really happen. And it was an opportunity where Missouri was able to slowly, because Corbello was attacking so much out of ball screens and they were running a lot of clock, running at a tempo that was, you know, emphasizing those early clock possessions. It got Missouri into a tempo that actually hurt Illinois because it was making Cokeburn get up and down the floor and then have to guard in space. So it just felt like that five or six minute stretch where Missouri opened the lead up on them was just a, a moment where a veteran team recognized who it was, recognized its opportunities when it had to run, opportunities when it had to you know settle down and play in the half court. It just felt like you saw a difference in experience over that stretch there when Missouri was able to kind of get some separation. And again, in the second half, when they went on that 7-0 run, um, that was just Mark Smith, you know, recognizing opportunities to play out of ball screens. And, you know, he, he punished Illinois. And again, it was it felt like Missouri's veterans in that game recognized moments and, and they stepped up to them. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, it's something that we've kind of talked about as far as, you know, Zoe building a culture and um, and really kind of, you know, being able to, at this point, uh, lean on uh, those experienced guys. You know, you, you talk about, and Illinois has some leadership, um, or I, I should say some, um, I mean, they, they've got guys with experience, but they're not empowered know, the, with major leadership roles outside of AF. Like, right. major roles and I, in the, I, within the structure of the team. I think that's, that's, that's the thing about like Missouri. It, it, it feels like, like all of those guys that were here last year are leaders. Like <laughs> it feels like Drew is a leader. It feels like Mark is a leader. Uh, you know, it feels like X at times, you know, it takes on leadership. Uh, there is really like this culture of leadership with the team. And Illinois is, is faced with guys that, um, who you know, like like Trent Frazier, who I think we've both liked over his career at Illinois as as, as a player, but he's mostly marginalized on this team. Um, like he he doesn't really feel like he has that leadership role. He's just kind of uh, a guy who plays defense and and spots up and occasionally hits some threes. And the same kind of thing with like Damani Williams, who's um, you know another four year guy, guy that uh, you know his. Um, Illinois roots uh, run deep, um, you know. But after that, like, okay, so so Ao's a junior, and Ao is very clearly like the guy on that team, um, you know. But after that, like, it's, I mean, like, Kofi's a sophomore, Adam Miller is a freshman, Corbello's a freshman, uh, you know, Georgie, <laughs> like, is. I don't know what it is about Missouri, but Missouri just brings out the worst in that guy. Like he always struggles uh, against Mizzou. So I mean, I'll I'll, I'll take it because I I think you and I both like him overall as a player and and, and think he's pretty good. Um, you know, but he's a he's a junior and a, another guy that's kind of marginalized as far as like just a, a role guy. So it really is, uh, and maybe to a little bit of a detriment for um, at least in the matchup against Missouri, uh, it really is AO's team. 
and and he was he was awesome. He was so good against Mizzou, but he also made some really big mistakes down the stretch. And there wasn't anybody else who was going to step up and make the play. Like you think about really uh, not just the the one charge call that was called, uh, but there was another one that he got away with that <laughs> that was absolutely a charge on Drew Smith. I've never like I don't think I've ever seen Drew Smith just so puzzled as to why the call went against him. Um, and so I you know I think when you look at the two teams, like there is such maturity and balance that Missouri has at this point. And I think that that maturity, that balance is what was able to outlast the, uh, <laughs> the, the sheer awesome talent that Ayo Desunmu has. Uh, and honestly, like y- you'll take it and Ayo's going to go to the league next year and he'll be and three against Mizzou. Yeah. I- I'm looking back at like the key sequences, like I was saying earlier from that, in the first half when Missouri extended the lead and then when they went on that 7-0 run to kind of get some breathing space in the second half, there were 20 possessions over um, roughly 7-15 of game time. There were 25 points Missouri scored. Th- these were your leading scorers. Javon Pickett, 10 points. 10 of his 14 points came in like moments when Missouri absolutely needed them. And only one of... And I'm looking at this... Only... Four, only four of them came in the half court, and only two of those points came where he had to create with the ball in his hands. Like, Javon Pickett got basically six points off runouts because of Illinois turnovers or long threes. He got a, a drive into the lane because he read his defender overhelping and made him relocated, made himself available for a kickout and drove a gap and got a floater. And then recognized Trent Frazier or not Trent Frazier but watch it recognized Ayo Desumu ball watching on a pick and roll and back cut for a layup like Missouri did not run offense for Javon Pickett but I think that's a guy who again understands his role understands what he's supposed to do like he got six points off running hard out in transition didn't do anything special but is because Missouri recognized the opportunity. They recognized that Illinois didn't have floor balance. They got out and they pushed. Now, Drew Smith gets five of his seven points late. He hits a three. He gets a, a scoop layup over the top of Kofi Cokeburn, and he's also the one who assists to pick it. Like, it was... I think when you watched Missouri, AO is just spectacular to watch because... He's just so dynamic, especially when he comes down and they run the double high pick and roll for him, and he's just going downhill with a head of steam. But Missouri just had guys that I think, in the moment, they executed. And it, you know, it's not anything that's really fancy. It's just recognizing, hey, I got to get out and bust it in transition, or I've got an opportunity to cut, or maybe I'm gonna, you know, be smart about when I drive a gap, like that. And I think that's really the difference between those two teams. And you do that enough you're going to position yourself to, to get a win like this. And the margin was so close that we even talk about it, like free throws, like nothing fancy. One team hit more free throws. That was basically the, the margin. Like you go back and look at the study hall. It's razor thin in almost every category, except free throws. Missouri hits more free throws. So I think that that's what struck me coming out of this game was they didn't play clean. They didn't play perfect, but 
in key moments they executed well they kept their poise and they did things that you know don't seem fancy but in the aggregate can get you a result like this and, and I think that again speaks to kind of the culture there that, you, that you've talked about which is that they they've changed the offense they've changed you know the tempo they play with but the things that you know to find the program defending you know consistently sitting down guarding your man guards going to the glass Missouri got I think three or four of those runouts were off of a guard getting a hand on a ball, tipping it and creating a 50-50 chance and Missouri's running. And then, you know, guys just understanding what their roles are within the half court. And uh, again, not clean, not perfect, but you do enough of those things in, in aggregate, you, you're going to get good results. And I think that's been the heartening thing to see from them. I think my favorite uh, picket play was he sort of was where he like drove the ball to the opposite uh, like mid post on a switch, like Kofi was switched onto him. And he just drove to the mid post and stopped. And Kofi just like backed off him, and he's like, "All right, I'll take this little eight foot jumper." <laughs> it's just like, 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 what is Kofi doing? Like, all you had to do is get a hand up, and you probably prevent that. And Pickett's like, "I'll, I'll take two points." Of course, it's it's against Illinois. Of course, he's gonna make that shot. But yeah, I, like I, I, I've gone over that that play in my head multiple times, and just like that was just the the quintessential like Javon Pickett Illinois basket because it's just like it's a guy who clearly the more talented, massive mountain of a person in the middle of the paint wasn't concerned about, and it cost him two points. Like, and that's 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 Javon versus uh, versus Illinois. Um, but one guy that we really haven't talked much about this year, and uh, I actually like cut a little flack, I think, on the study hall piece. Uh, I didn't really bring him up because he just doesn't get into the stat book a lot. Um, that's Mitchell Smith. Um, and why he's able to uh, you know, cultivate so much confidence from his coach is... Uh, as a guy who can come off the bench, provide the kind of minutes, play a multitude of positions. Um, I mean, he still struggles to finish around the rim. I'd like to like to see him be able to sort of absorb any kind of contact and, um, and still finish through that contact, which I don't think has happened yet. Um, but he's really good defensively. Uh, he plays with such energy and it's because of that, like, like Mitchell Smith is a very important part of why Missouri is successful this year. Uh, and honestly, like, credit to him. I, I did not have a lot of hope when Missouri signed Mitchell Smith that he was really ever going to be uh, what he is. Um, the, I think the – like I said, I'm working on a piece about this. I think Missouri's lineup can turn with subbing him in. Like, you put Mitchell Smith in, you can go a straight sub for him. And Kobe Brown at the four. Um, and you're really not, you know, not to dog Kobe, but the, the offense that maybe I think some people thought might come this year hasn't for him. He's had a couple of good games. He had a, some nice stretches against Liberty, and he was really important early on against Illinois. He had some, some nice, you know, he gave them some production early. Um, 
But by and large, I don't think people have seen the kind of breakout that maybe they might have hoped for from him. But what you're doing is you're subbing in a longer, rangier guy in Mitchell Smith uh, at the four spot there. And you don't have to take you know, any of your four primary scorers off the floor. You, you get longer defensively. You get another guy who's going to get on the glass. And you get a guy who can probably... Some point guards are going to just still be able to blow by him, but... You know, two through five, he can switch and guard guys and, you know, play a multitude of positions there. Missouri can slide him down as a small ball five, um, which they've done sometimes. Again, they'll keep Kobe Brown on the floor and they'll keep their three starting guards. Or you can even, you know, go to a four guard lineup around him, insert Pickett as the four man, and you can play with a little bit more pace and, ter- and tempo. And, you know, you can even put bugs on the floor at times if you want to rest a guard there. So with one sub, you can basically move between three different lineups. And that's a and to know that he can defend at different positions and you're not going to lose a guy who can, you know, win 50-50 balls and get on the glass is a ma- is a major major factor there. So again, I don't think anyone's ever going to assume Mitch is going to be a scorer, but the flexibility that he gives Conzo is massive, and I think that's a reason why you almost see him and Kobe splitting minutes now at the four spot. Yeah, so far this year, Kobe, uh, I'm on Bart Torvik's site, um, Kobe's at about 43% of minutes, um, 43.5, and Mitchell Smith's at 55. So even though, like, and I was, I mean, as a coach, you always tell guys, like, it's not about who starts, it's about who finishes and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that is part of it. Yeah, I mean, you you do kind of want to put your best five uh, out on the floor to start the game. <laughs> like, it's, that, I, I, I realize that's a, uh, uh, a, a big-time insight into the mind of a coach uh, for our listeners, but... Um, uh, yeah, like I think I think Conzo believes that at this point, um, starting with Kobe probably gives him a little bit more at the beginning of the game of what he's looking for, and you get the versatility like you were speaking of with Mitchell coming off the bench, um, and you also get somebody who uh, you know is now in his fifth year in the program, is like understands who he is, understands what he has to do on the floor and and so I think that 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 fits a lot better off the bench um and so I I, yeah I think that sort of like top six I guess you would probably say at this point yeah they um their their starting lineup is is really I, I almost call them table setters um they really like when we think of a substitution pattern we think you're gonna circle back to your starters and I think in three of the games, like Zoe has not circled back to his starting lineup in like midway through the first half. I think in a lot of ways, their job is almost to come out and give Missouri a lead. Like if you look at their plus minus margin in games, you know, just for the starting in the first half, they're plus fifteen. The rest of the time they're on the floor, they're only like plus four or plus six. Like they those guys kind of get them a working margin. They sub in Mitch. They might roll in Drew Bugs, and then I think, you know, and I think this speaks to Zoe as a coach is 
I think he, you know, we, we think of him as being rigid and we think of him as being locked in and inflexible. You look at their most used lineups, it fluctuates so much from game to game. I really think he uses his fir- those first four to seven minutes of a game to read the game as a coach and see, okay, how are our guys playing? What are our matchups looking like? Who's going to be, who's in tune with what's happening here? Who seems to be causing problems? And then he finds... A rotation and then you'll see like if you go and you break it out he'll come back to a rotation three or four times in a certain game and may not come back to it again in the next one so it really i think speaks to when you look at and you evaluate how missouri and how a guy like mitchell smith fits is what is he able to do and what kind of flexibility does he give zo game to game like it's not mitchell smith is a reserve that fits into this specific role with this specific second unit with mitchell smith he knows I can use him in a multitude of different ways, and that gives me the flexibility to adapt in-game to what my personnel need to be. And I think that's a kind of freedom and creativity that a coach appreciates. Yeah, and also, uh, I think even though he hasn't really been the bolster uh, you know, to the offense that I think maybe we thought he, he might have a chance to be, but Drew Bugs and, and his ability... Uh, to sort of just come in and be a reliable ball handler and not turn the ball over and uh, and and get the ball. Um, I mean, he's got a solid assist rate. Uh, his turnover rate um, isn't isn't bad, um, but he's just a another sort of version of like that mature uh, senior who you can count on. And uh, and I think like when you when you look at some of the struggles that Missouri's had in the last few years with with their ball handling. One of the things that's always kind of stood out is, is like after like one or two guys, like it really falls off, and and um, even like last year with with X and and uh, and Drew Smith kind of handling the ball a lot, you know, if X is still prone to kind of having like a six turnover turnover night, uh, and and you know Drew Smith, um, man, as much as we love him. Uh, if there's a criticism is like sometimes he tries to make plays that aren't there. <laughs> sometimes he'll kind of force a ball that, that doesn't, uh, you know, like on a no look pass and you're like, oh, I see what you're trying to do, but like it, it just wasn't there. Um, and I think, so both of those guys having a third ball handler and also having a healthy Mark Smith, uh, who can offload some of those minutes, um, is something that I, I think has really helped this team's ball handling and, and it's consistency on offense. What they've done is they is they will insert bugs, sit Pinson, keep Mark on the floor. So now you have a steady ball handler. You've got Drew who you can still use in the ball screens, and you've still got your floor spacer out there. If they decide that they want to bring in Pickett to relieve Mark Smith, they sit Drew and bring Pinson back because now you've got a reliable ball handler around a guy who can be dynamic and a downhill driver. And the wing isn't a spot-up threat, but he's a guy now who, if the defense collapses down and you kick to him, can at least straight-line drive. So what they've been able to do is they've been able to essentially rest their two primary creators on offense, and they can then toggle at the wing spot to find a complementary wing player to the other creative you know, guy who's now playing in the combo guard spot. All the while, Drew Smith can come down and initiate offense and still, you know, offload some of that work rate in pick and rolls with them. So 
again, he's not going to be a guy who I think a lot of people are going to look at and go, wow, you know, the, the analytics are gaudy here. I don't think he's ever going to be an analytics darling, but you watch how he moves through lineups, and you completely see why he's vital to them. And I think you're going to go back to the Liberty game, like where X, you know, his floor game against Liberty at times was not great. Um, I think the pace was constraining to him. I think he was getting frustrated at times with how Liberty was defending ball screens and hard hedging and really just sitting in a pack and sitting in their pack line. He was trying to force it at some moments. And so just looked at him and put bugs on the floor and just said, okay, we're going to, we're going to let two veterans just sort of steady us out and manage it. So that's, I think that's just the flexibility that he offers is you're not going to see in the stat sheet, but, you can do just enough to offload some possessions and you're not having to radically you know, make any, you're not having to make radical sacrifices for the sake of the offense. And it can still kind of remain semi-efficient in the process. So looking ahead as we, uh, we kind of near the end of the podcast here. Um, so obviously uh, we're recording this Thursday night. Friday night was supposed to be a basketball game against Prairie View A&M. That game has been canceled due to uh, some COVID issues with Prairie View's basketball team, um, which turns our attention to Bradley. Um, Bradley is a Missouri Valley Conference basketball team. They are uh, kind of projected to probably be like one of the top three or four teams in that league. Um, Brian Wardle's been there for a few years now. It's kind of has them in a good place. Um, I think they were, they projected to be, yeah, projected to be an NCAA tournament team last year. Um, had some decent wins. The year before they were a 15 seed is kind of an upset uh, team in the Missouri Valley Conference. Um, getting into the uh, NCAA tournament. Um, what do you make of this this game against Bradley? I, it's certainly like another one of those um, should be a decent uh, should be a decent matchup for, for Missouri to kind of get through the Bradley Braves. Uh, going to be a battle of tempo. Uh, Bradley wants to, to grind grind it down. Um, I think the currently three hundred and eighth in adjusted tempo. Yeah, they're they're not um, defensively. Uh, they're not bad for a mid major at ninetieth uh, in adjusted efficiency. There, the issue is are they going to be able to score the ball? Um, at one fifty two, they're middle of the pack in terms of adjusted efficiency. Um, don't shoot the ball well inside the arc. Um, don't draw a ton of fouls in the process. So if you get the feeling like if Missouri plays a steady game defensively they're going to be able to get some slow separation here and find some chances to run. And Missouri, I think will have enough of an advantage, at least in terms of size inside that they're, they're going to be able to get, get a win here. It'll, but Bradley has picked off Toledo. Toledo's a good Mac team. Um, they've, they were feisty against Xavier, um, a top, you know, 50 Ken Palm team and at Xavier's bubble event. Um, lost a close home game against South Dakota State, who's probably going to be a favorite out in the summit or going to be a contender in the summit. So they're not a bad mid-major. Um, I think if you have a, a poor night offensively and you're not able to, you know, dictate some pace that way, it could get tricky for them. Uh, but realistically, if, if Missouri's, you know, 
locked in and engaged. They should get get a win here. Um, There's not a huge difference, uh, at least in, in Ken Palm. And st- you know, Ken Palm is still, and probably later into this year, filtering in um, or filtering out last year's uh, numbers and projections. Um, you know, but Bradley. 119 in Kempom. Liberty was 114. I know a lot of uh, Missouri fans were kind of frustrated watching that Liberty game. And I, I, I think this game kind of has some of that potential as far as, um, you know, like making it ugly. You aren't able to kind of make a few shots. Maybe if you struggle from the field, um, struggle from the three-point line against, uh, you know, Liberty, Missouri, only made like five or sixteen, but I think you know Pinson is a guy who, um, I think what well, that was coming off the, uh, well, yeah, the Wichita State game is where you know Xavier attempted like seven threes. I think that's what I was thinking of, um, but I think yeah, if you come out and you kind of miss some early threes, and you know Bradley's able to kind of get some offense going, uh, it, this has a an opportunity for that liberty level ugliness but i still think it's it's a game that missouri wins by probably 10 points um at least uh if they shoot the ball well i think this is a game that they should probably win by 20 yeah it again if you're an NCAA tournament team uh maybe you have a little bit of a slog early maybe you have to wrestle the tempo a little bit to your liking but you should come away with a victory here um but we'll see what they can do uh it I'm, I am wondering about how a 10-day layoff sort of works in there. If, you know, what that kind of does, you know, if there's any rust or if they or if they come out, you know, just glad to beat up on somebody else who's not them. It, the, the... Well, I think, like, like some of the things that we were talking about earlier in the podcast about why Missouri is successful, I think this is, like, a perfect perfect example of, of why you think they they should be okay. Um, I think with... Uh, with a team with higher turnover, if they get on a hot streak and you have a a, a layoff, then um, then I think you're probably looking at, at something that I guess you could consider it a trap game. Uh, that's another reason why I, I kind of wanted them to play Prairie View A&M, at least kind of you know get the game legs going and uh, you know get up and down the court against somebody that's um, that's not your teammate. But I think it's kind of like we were saying, like. This is a team that that knows who they are, knows what they do well. Uh, I fully expect them to come out and and win the game. Like I said, I possibility of some early slogs just because of what Bradley is going to try to do. Um, but I, I I think this is a game where let let's say uh, if Missouri is up by more than like four points at halftime, um, I'd be willing to bet that they win by twenty. The, I think the one thing that is sort of, and I again maybe their maturity helps. It's it is just weird to have to basically go with two games in an eighteen game span, and then you're opening up with a home game that now looks suddenly more significant against Tennessee uh, in the SEC play. That that opening those opening two games in the SEC now look less like you're trying to maybe steal some NCAA tournament wins than you're trying to. Now it seems like you're trying to get some pole position or trying to really be, you know, staking some key early wins so you're a factor down the stretch if you have to want to try and play for a, you know, double buy or, 
or anything of that nature. So it'll be a weird, you know, closing month, close to the month with Bradley, who you're hoping to kind of just take care of business against. And then you jump right into conference play against two teams who you're going to probably be elbowing with a little bit for potential uh, position for seeding in a couple months from now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we will be back uh, post-Bradley. I don't want to look too much into conference play because I think uh, we'll uh, we'll have a full pod to kind of look at uh, look at Tennessee and and have actually some more data points on Tennessee, which I think will help. Uh, I I don't know if you've watched them at all, kind of early. Um, I watched stretches but, of the Colorado game, but that's as much as I've been able to see of them. Yeah, I watched a, a, a significant portion of the Colorado game uh, and a a fair amount of the Cincinnati game. I did not watch any of the Appalachian State game, um, but yeah. So I, I think I probably will not watch. That, I probably will not watch them against Tennessee Tech or UC USC Upstate though. We'll will not make an effort to see them in those games. Yeah, their their schedule is not really one that uh, is particularly interesting. Well, COVID um, COVID kind of put a shotgun blast to the early part of it. So you know the Saint matchup against St. Joseph's might be interesting. Uh, you know St. Joe's the team has sort of been up and down they're 162 in Kempom Ugh. but they had no overtime loss to Auburn uh man Auburn then Kansas that's rough uh Drexel they lost by four to Drexel um but that's a team that could be feisty so that might be worth watching on Monday um get an idea of what the the Vols might look at but that I mean definitely I think you're looking at opening with with Tennessee and Arkansas, and if you're talking about, um, you know, the SEC and and who has kind of come out of the gates and and looked good early, I think you're specifically looking at Arkansas, Missouri, and Tennessee. Yep. Um, although I I was texting you watching some of those Tennessee games, like there there's definitely some some ugliness, but they also had to like go on pause for I think like 10 days or 14 days so like no practice yeah like that's that's what pause means like you pause the program everybody takes like a week off and uh and that's tough like i think like that's that's why this the season is gonna give us a lot of weird uh weird answers yeah like to our questions yeah like i said like you said the, if you looked at the if you look at the top of the sec right now at least in terms of kimpom it's tennessee florida lsu arkansas and missouri so kudos you get two of those teams <laughs> Uh, to start your uh, your conference play, so yeah, and and Florida probably going to be without the uh, preseason SEC Player of the Year for anybody that hasn't been paying attention. Keontae Johnson, uh, the the recent news is good on him. Yeah, um, after collapsing on the court at Florida State, um, but yeah, so apparently he's uh, making good progress at the same time. Man, if you're <laughs> if you're like making any kinds of decisions on that basketball team, I I would be surprised if he sees the floor um, the rest of the year. Like yeah. I just think like that's that's a scary kind of thing. I think you want to make sure, particularly for a guy that has a financial future, um, you know, playing basketball on the line. Yeah, um, that's obviously going to impact Florida from a basketball perspective as well as an emotional perspective. He was definitely a leader on that team. Um, I haven't like I I watched a little bit of the SLU uh, LSU game, um, but other than that, I haven't really bothered with LSU. They their schedule has also been bad. Yeah. So well, I mean, we'll we'll 
obviously get a good look at them and uh, they actually play VCU on Tuesday so that'll, that'll be a, a a much better uh, opponent to gauge them on um, you got anything else we want to get out of here let's get out of here are you drinking any bourbon uh no no I'm not just just the good old h2o I'm uh, finishing up a little bit of uh, Henry McKenna ten. Oh, that's a good, that's a good choice there. That's a good choice there. I might, I might go break into the four rows of small batch select after this. That is an elite bottle, Matt. It elite. is elite. It's top flight. Uh, so yeah, so Matt and I will be back. Um, I don't know, maybe Wednesday next week. Um, since Thursday's Christmas Eve. Um, so we'll be back next week. We'll have a weekly podcast from here on out. And, uh, yeah, it's nice having a basketball team that is good and winning basketball games. Right, Matt? For now. For now. It could always go sideways. Hey, that's the quintessential uh, Mizzou fan answer. Um, make sure that you're subscribed to the pod. Any and all uh, hate mail goes to Mitch. Uh, he's the one that, that puts us up to all this. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, shop at Homefield Apparel. Those guys are—they're awesome. Also, <laughs> I, I actually wasn't wasn't paid for that one. Um, our, uh, our our deal with uh, Homefield is um, was just for a, a one-off. I think if they give me a Colorado School of Mines sweatshirt, I'll love them even more. I mean, their stuff is really awesome. I actually ordered uh, the the basketball shirt. I'm supposedly getting that like at some point uh, with the, our our Black Friday deal. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, but yeah, so we're out of here. We're at a, uh, an hour. Time to get out. Um, but yeah, we'll talk to you guys next week.